Well, good morning to you. And what I'd like to do is start our uh, message is to have a special time of prayer. Uh, we have two large teams that are out on mission trips this week. And uh, yesterday, the youth and young adults left for Pa and Bangkok. And the, so they are there now in Bangkok, and then we'll move on to Pa. And so there's a, a large team of about nine uh, youth and young adults. And then there's a team leaving for Cambodia uh, on tomorrow. And so we want to remember them in prayer. So would you join me, please? And let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for what you are doing through Grace Baptist Church and the people of Grace Baptist Church. We thank you, Father, for the heart of missions that is growing and, Father, that is going forth. And we thank you, Lord, that um, we have several teams that are going and representing you and Father GBC uh, in Thailand. And we thank you, Father, for the youth and young adults who are there now. And they'll be helping uh, David Chang in reaching the urban poor and then moving on to Pua, where they will minister at Katie's home. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll give them great effectiveness, that, Father, you will give them health, that you will give them energy, and that, Father, uh, they will see much fruit from their ministry. Also, Lord, we want to pray for the team in Cambodia. Uh, we know, Lord, that uh, we have been sending many teams there now, and it's just been a joy to see how both medical, dental, and other uh, works that are being done among the people of Cambodia uh, bringing the love of Jesus Christ and also, Lord, the message of Jesus Christ uh, to those people. We pray, Father, again, that they too will have great opportunities and, Father, they will have great effectiveness among the people. Thank you, Father, for these teams and thank you for their, um, their willingness to go and, Father, the sacrifices they make accordingly. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we want to keep remembering them. Um, as you know, this week, starting last week on uh, 5 June, on Friday on through the 16th of June, Singapore hosts the important Sea Games, okay, Southeast Asian Games. Uh, it's a sports competition uh, between athletes from the participating uh, Southeast Asian countries. It's an opportunity for Asian athletes to compete for medals and gauge their skills against the best athletes in the region. So this is a very important event. But we should note that the athletes will be evaluated not only on how many medals they win. All right? It's more than just all about medals. But it's also about other areas like their effort, their progress, their sportsmanship, and how well they represent their respective countries as sports ambassadors. And so when we see these games happen, when we see the winners take the podium and we see the opening and closing ceremony, please remember there's more than just whether or not we win the medal. There is much more to it than that. There, uh, to, to say the least, there will be a lot of eyes on each competitor and each competition on and off the field. Now, if athletes can be evaluated to that, how are Christians evaluated? Okay, and by whom? Well, they're evaluated by God. And if God were to evaluate us, what areas of our lives would he be exploring? We, that's a good question, and that's one that we hope to answer for you today from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. 
And so the question is this morning is how would we measure up? Okay, what would the be report be when it comes back? And so we want to be able to look at that. Well, this particular section, how does it fit into Paul's message to us? The Apostle Paul has been teaching us about real joy, real joy, not happiness, but joy. And in chapter three, God told us how to how joy is achieved by continually pressing, uh, pressing on and pursuing being like Christ. There's joy in that. And so he exhorts us to do that. Then we come to chapter four and then God, through the Apostle Paul, gives us areas in our lives that we can evaluate to see how we are doing. Now, I don't know how you feel, but I know that when I come to parts of the Bible, which talk about evaluation, self-reflection, and those kinds of things, I get nervous. I get real nervous. In fact, it's something that I probably would not really want to do if I had a choice. But the scripture does tell us to take time for personal evaluation. So rather than resenting this or rejecting this exercise, we should actually see it as something that is helpful and healthy. It is something that we can all do and that we should do in our lives. For example, if we had read a little bit further in the passage about the Lord's Supper, it talks to us about before taking the Lord's Supper, let each person examine themselves. Take time for personal evaluation of our relationship with God. So, personal evaluation is good and healthy. Why? Because it can help us have a, it can help us keep our relationship before God in order. That's just one example. Another example is that it can also help us to have a healthy attitude about our place in the body of Christ. In Romans chapter 12, In Romans chapter 12, we read these particular verses. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 5. And it says this. For the grace, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted each in measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And so this is very important for us. Because why? Because oftentimes many people say, well, I'm I'm sad because I can't do what they do. I can't do what he or she does. And so we begin to get down on ourselves. We begin to, you know, kind of crawl up in a ball and put our thumb in our mouth. and, And we tell ourselves that we're unhappy with who we are and what we are doing in the body of Christ. But if we were to step back for a moment and really do some self-evaluation, we would really begin to appreciate our role in the body of Christ. And that, of course, is healthy, right? And so that's why, uh, truthfully, these times of self-reflection and personal evaluation are good. So then the next question is, where do we start? Where do we start? As part of our growing more like Christ, let's measure ourselves in the areas that God sees as important. So rather than sitting out there and trying to guess what areas we should be growing in, trying to figure out what will make God happy, we're trying to figure out what will bring joy to the Lord. 
we ought to look into his word where he outlines it for us very clearly. So that brings us back to Philippians chapter 4 verses 1 to 7. And for take uh, for time's sake and for uh, maybe some clarity, we're going to uh, see three different areas that God has outlined for us. So the first one is found in verses 1 to 3. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. And so uh, God directs us to measure ourselves in the area of personal relationships. Personal relationships. Well, you say to yourself, wow, that's a big, big area. But let's look and see how God narrows it for us. If you look at verses 1 to 2, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Judea and also Synecti to live in harmony in the Lord. So, what does he say? The first thing he says, in our relationships with people, we ought to stand firm. Well, stand firm in what? Well, he gives us a hint of that back in verses chapter 1, verse 27. When he says in chapter 1, verse 27, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm, standing firm, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. What is he talking about? He's talking about being united together. Now, he goes on in verse 2, and while he doesn't give any specific reason as to why there is disagreement and disharmony between two sisters, he urges the two sisters in Christ to live in harmony, he says in verse 2. Now, it's no coincidence that to live in harmony literally means same mind. Same mind. So that's exactly what he said in verse 20, chapter 1, verse 27. And what is this mind? What is this mind that he's talking about? What's same mind? Well, he talked about that in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. So let's read that. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. There it is again. Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Do you see that? So he says, when he says, be of the same mind, he is talking about the selfless, humble mind of Christ. And what characterized that? It is a mindset that is selfless instead of selfish. It is not arrogant. It sets the interests of others above one's own. So, that gives us a hint. Two sisters did not, disagree, did not agree. They were disharmonious. And so, there was a great conflict between the two of them. Now, a note to point out here is that Disagree, disunity is not caused by disagreement. All right? 
Because look, for example, at Peter and Paul. There's many examples in Scripture where Peter and Paul disagreed. They disagreed about a lot of things. And yet they worked together for the cause of the gospel and for Jesus Christ. So disagreement is always with us, yes. So what causes the disunity? Disunity is caused by the why and how we disagree. In other words, the motives and methods that are involved. Think about this. Think about this. I can disagree with you. You can disagree with me. But we can be great friends. We can be great co-workers for Jesus Christ. Why? Because it is the methods and it is the motives that are at play. An example of why, of a why that can be caused disunity. Perhaps why we're doing something is because of selfishness, self-centeredness. Perhaps out of pride, perhaps out of arrogance. These were all taught in chapter 2, so we're not going to you know, go back and repeat those. That's just an example. So, if you think that I'm acting selfishly or self-centeredly or self-servingly, you're for sure going to say, I'm not sure I want to work with this guy. I'm not sure I'm gonna, I want to get involved with anything he's involved with. All right. An example of how. When there is slander, innuendo, and rumors. The scriptures talks about this all the time. Telling us not to slander one another. Not to run each other down. Not to imply things when we speak of other people's, of other people's uh, works or intentions. But it is the why and the how that can cause great disagreement. People might say, after a meeting, I've had this happen to me. People say, I disagreed with you in that meeting. And I says, okay, right? We can have, we can, it's, you know, there's different viewpoints of something. That's okay. That's fine. But he says, but I'm really mad <laughs> at what, how you came across, you see? And so the how and the why's become important. And they are the things that cause disunity. So. Bottom line, be careful about why and how we go about disagreeing with other people. All right? And so this is something that will help us in our personal relationships. But he goes on and he says, stand firm, stand firm, have this mindset. Okay? But then he goes on and says a second thing in verse 3. What is it that he says? Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the Cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose name is are in the book of life. Notice the verb there, it says, to help the parties involved. To help the parties involved. Now, I know that some of us in this room, probably the last thing we want to do is get between two people who are <laughs> have disagreement, right? We just said, I'd rather stand on the sidelines or I'd rather be out of the room or out of the, uh, uh, just out of this world. I don't want to be anywhere near this thing, okay? That's our general attitude. But look at what he says here. Paul says he urges them to help the people who are struggling. Now, of course, the question comes out, how am I going to do that? All right. So if I may, if you would allow me to, I'd like to share with you some of the things that I try to do when I'm trying to bring people together. Number one, try to understand what is happening and why. That's the first thing. Try to understand what is happening and why. Now, be careful here not to 
be quick to judge others, okay? To take sides. Uh, because only God can look in a person's heart, right? Remember 1 Samuel 16? When it says, for God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Okay, don't be so quick to judge. You know, listen, listen very carefully and try to figure out what's going on and why. It could be a simple misunderstanding. It could be an honest mistake. It can be a momentary lapse in judgment. Or it could be a lack of experience or maturity. It could be any number of those things, all right? That happens to all of us, right? That happens to all of us. None of us here are perfect. But those we need to figure out what is going on. That's the first thing. Now, the second thing I try to do is I try to reconcile the parties involved. Try to reconcile the parties involved. And so in this, I want to make it my goal to heal rather than to hurt. To bring people together rather than drive them apart. To be a multiplier instead of a divider. To be a peacemaker rather to be a peace breaker. Okay? Uh, some people enter into these conflicts and, you know, their, their thought is maybe I'm going to defend my friend, you know, this kind of thing. Or uh, I'm going to enter into this fray and, and, and I'm going to show them both are wrong <laughs> and I'm right, you know. And so we have all these agendas at work here. But he says, make it your goal, all right, to heal and rather than to hurt. Well, how you do that? Well, bring parties together. It may mean clarifying views and opinions. Oh, do you, did you mean this or did you mean that or, or, you know, that kind of thing. Sometimes it's just a matter of words. Sometimes it's a matter of uh, using a common language that everybody understands, getting on the same page. We can do this by praying for each of the parties involved. Praying for each of the parties involved. We'll talk more about the power of prayer, but for now, praying for each of the parties involved. And then exhorting the parties to submit to one another as appropriate. As appropriate. Okay? And so we still have to go by scripture. We still have to go by the principles that God has given to us. And so sometimes we have to turn to one person and say to another, it says, you know, the word of God really encourages this to happen, you know, between parents and children and between husbands and wives and between uh, government citizens and the government, so on and so forth. So we have to do those things as appropriate, as appropriate. So we try to understand, we try to reconcile. But lastly, we try to restore. We try to restore divided persons or parties to God, to God. If, if, and that's a big if, if there is clear evidence of sin in one, several, or all parties involved, you have to deal with it. You have to deal with it. You can't run away from it. You can't run away from it because nothing ever gets done. All right? And so God has given us specific instructions on how to do this. Now, listen to me carefully. Listen to me carefully because I'm going to save you a lot of headache. (laughs) When I get involved in these things, if I don't follow these steps, I get myself embroiled in all kinds of things. Instead of making things better, I make things worse. All right? So the first thing is found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 5. Examine our own hearts and motives. 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 5 says, You hypocrites, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. All right. Is there something in my life that would disqualify me? Is there something in my life that a person can come back and say, You hypocrite, you're trying to change my life. You're trying to make me do this and do that. And you don't even do that in your own life. You see? So I have to do some personal examination, okay? Now, if I clear that hurdle, the next thing is to seek to restore people to fellowship with God and God's ways. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself to see that you will not be tempted. All right? And so the idea is to restore a person in a spirit of gentleness, okay? This is the healing instead of hurting and things like that, okay? So what is your goal when you get into these things? What is your goal? Your goal is to restore them. Now, so I go to examination, I go to seek to restore. And then the third thing I do is employ the steps of Matthew 18, 15 to 18, if needed, if needed. Needed. Okay? Now, some of you say, you have Matthew 18, ah, 15 to 18. That's a long passage. I'm not sure I memorized that one. Okay? And so let me help you by reading it for you. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. In private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you. So that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, these are really strong words. But let me say again, if needed, if needed. In many cases, the great majority of cases I've ever been involved with, a private visit was all it took. Was going to them in love and in a sense of earnestness and concern for people. Says, brother, do you understand what is happening here? Do you understand what the consequences are? And please, please turn away from that. And so in Matthew chapter 18, Employ these steps if you're going to employ any others. Now, unfortunately, many people do the reverse. They take it to the church. <laughs> you know, and then finally the person finds out, huh? <laughs> That's what everybody's saying is going on in my life. You see, don't do that. Please don't do that. Deal with it privately. And then as the scripture says, then go with two or three others if you have to. And then go to the church. Okay. So be careful of the order in which you go. Now, the last thing, and this is the one that really breaks my heart. And unfortunately, I have to stand before you and say that there's not always a happy ending to these things. Okay? There's not always a happy ending. I wish there were, but not always. Be ready to separate if the sinning party refuses to repent, even after much patience. And the best possible efforts to restore and counsel have been exhausted. Okay? Now, this is really, this is really drastic. Okay? I do not like this one. I do not take this one lightly. 
It's not the first place I go. It is the last, 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 last step that I would take. Where do we get this? Titus chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Okay? And then Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 18. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances, contrary to the teaching which you have learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Okay? This is right out of the mouth of God. And this is what he's telling to us. All right? But please notice, please notice the progression. Okay? Examine our own hearts first. Seek to restore to fellowship uh, uh, with uh, the people with God. Employ the steps of Matthew 18, if needed. Be ready to separate, if the sinning party refuses to repent. And there's no other place to go. Okay? And so, this is the way that we can help people. This is not meant to, to kill people. It is not meant to just chop people off or anything like that. It is God's way of reconciling and restoring people. In the area of personal relationships then, God wants us to be united with others and to help others who are not united. All right? So there's two parts to that thing. All right? Two parts to that. Question. How are we measuring up in our personal relationships with people? All right? Are we at peace with one another? Are we helping people to be at peace with each other? Now, comes to the next one. God directs us to measure ourselves in our personal or general outlook on life. This is verse 4. Look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Now, keep in context. This is a guy who's in a Roman prison. He's under arrest here, okay? Uh, I don't care. What, you know, he didn't have a swanky suite or anything like that. He was in a prison. His, his movements were limited, you know, and he had to depend on others to, to provide for him. And so in verse 4, he tells us, rejoice. And he's setting for us a general outlook on life. Now, being in Singapore, it's probably no great surprise or mystery to you how many people are very negative about life, about negative about life, you know? And so it's, uh, it's sad, but to say but somehow there's a lot of negativity and it's not just singapore it's the whole world it's the whole world there's a lot of negativity going on so god's word exhorts the believers to rejoice and the way it is written it is written in a continuous action continuously be rejoicing in the lord well how can we possibly do that all right well what do you think about what do you dwell upon all right 
And I, I really liked what one author did. He says, we can, it, we can rejoice in what God has done. What God has done. In Second Corinthians chapter 5. In Second Corinthians chapter 5. He tells us what God has done for us. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Starting with verse 18. Now all these things are from God. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Verse 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what God has done for us. Okay. Now probably the full impact of that won't be realized until we get to heaven. And we actually see Jesus Christ. (laughs) You know very frankly. Okay. But that's what God has done for us. And then we can rejoice in what God is doing currently. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verses 9 to 10. What do we see there? And he's, this is, Paul was under tremendous uh, uh, trial. And it says in verse 9, And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness, he says. And then on further to verse 10. He says, um, in verse 10, therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God gives us grace in the midst of our weakness. He gives us our grace in the midst of our weakness. I don't know about you, but I have a lot of weaknesses. I do. And I thank God for his grace that is at work in my life. Okay? And so that's what he's doing now. That gets, is a source of great joy. What else? We can rejoice in what God will do. Second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. All right? There's going to come that great day when when life is over here. We're going to be resurrected and we're going to be with Jesus Christ. And we're going to be there together forever. And so these are the things that we can rejoice in. Okay. Now, I know many of you say, yeah, that's fine. But, you know, where's the riches? Where's the fame? Where's the position and all that kind of stuff? Guess what, folks? Guess what? All of that's fading anyway. You want something that really lasts. Something that is really worthwhile. And that is the things we just mentioned. So, don't let the misery and despair, the trials and tribulations of this sin-soaked world rob you of your joy in Jesus Christ. Uh, This past week, uh, I was able to be in Thailand and I saw both the worst and the best. I saw some very, very poor and desperate people, and I saw some very well-off people. And it was just the, 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 the difference was so stark, was so stark. And if I wasn't careful, I could just let myself really be depressed. 
But I cannot do that because of what God has done. So in the meantime, what can I do to help myself and help yourself? Well, trust in God's word, trust in God's promises. Like what? In John chapter 16, it says, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulations, but take courage. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And then you can follow good examples. You can follow good examples. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. In us. So it's not just trusting God's word, but it is seeing people who are trusting in God's word. You see, when you do those two things, this will help you in in dealing with the misery and despair and trials and tribulations. You know, they did a study on longevity. This was several years ago. They did a study on longevity. And they, they tried to find out the secret. Why were these people able to live over 100 years? How many of you in this room would love to live over 100 years? Okay. Some of you are you know. But they, 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 they went and, and they studied these people who were living over 100 years. And these people were still smiling. And these people were just, you know, very thankful and stuff. You know what the key was? They said it was they generally have a joyful spirit. They generally have a joyful spirit. So that means that probably mean and grumpy people aren't going to last too long. But I have met some of those too, okay? They, they just, they're so stubborn that they, they're not going to die. They, they just, you know, they refuse to die. But this supports Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22. A joyful heart is good medicine. But a broken spirit dries up the bones. Okay? And so if there's anything I can leave here with the Grace Baptist Church family, please, please be more joyful. Rejoice. Rejoice. Again, and I say rejoice. Okay? And that would be one thing that would just please God more than anything else. And as an overflow, it would certainly please me. But... Don't do it for me. Do it for God. This in the area of outlook on life. God wants us to be joyful or to rejoice. Now, if you notice here, these areas begin to get a little. They start from the general and they work their way to be a little more specific. And so it's no mystery to us that the last one would be very hard. And the last one is found in verses five to seven. And God directs us to measure ourselves in terms of our personal character, our personal character. Now, you know, I met a lot of people that said, mess with any area of my life, but don't you dare mess with my character because that's who I am and that's who I will be, you know. And so this is the attitude that some people have. But let's give God a hearing here. Let's see what he says. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. And it says this. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. So he says, in terms of measuring your character, I'm looking for a gentle spirit. I'm looking for a gentle spirit. Now, gentle spirit is a combo of words for that touch on being gentle, being reasonable, and being controlled in your temper. 
Okay? It carries the idea of a humble, patient, steadfast spirit. One that is able to endure an injustice, a disgrace, or maltreatment without hatred or malice. A spirit that continues to trust God in spite of it all. Okay? And so, how are we doing? How are we measuring up? Are we people that are known by our gentle spirit, our reasonableness, our ability to control our, our emotions and that kind of thing. All right. Ask yourself that question and do the evaluation. Do the math. So be known for having a gentle spirit. Then he goes on and he says the second thing that he's looking for is be anxious for nothing. This is found in verse 6 through 7. And so if we read the verse, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what is he saying here? He's saying, don't be anxious about anything. Not just something, but about anything. How are we going to do that? By prayer and supplications with thanksgiving, letting our requests be known to God. So whatever general or specific uh, concerns or needs you may have, bring them to the Lord. What will you get? He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses uh, everything, that which rises and above, superior to anything else that we could experience, will guard your hearts. Now, to guard your hearts. That's an interesting concept. We'll guard your hearts. Okay? Two things. Two things here. Mark these two things. Two things. First of all, it's like having a sentry in front of your heart, a guard in front of your house, in front of your heart. And this sentry will keep unhealthy things from coming in. You'll keep unhealthy things from coming in. Like what? Negative thoughts. Like negative thoughts. What else will it do? It'll keep unhealthy things from going out. Have you ever thought about that? Guards work two ways. They keep things out and they keep things, I mean, they keep things from coming in and they keep things from going out. And they keep things going out. Like what? Words and wishes that would hurt and harm other people. All right? And so this is what he is looking for. He's looking for that gentle spirit. He's looking for us to not worry so much. Ah, oh, some people say, ah, you Christians, every time when we say that there's a problem in our life, you always say, pray. That's all you ever say is pray. But is prayer really the cure-all for everything? No, it's not the cure-all for everything, but it is very helpful. In what ways? For example, it helps us to identify problems and needs. Helps to clarify them. Helps us to, to understand and see more clearly what is, is exactly what the problem is and what we need. It helps us to examine our own motives. If, you know, is there something that's, that's wrong in our own heart? Okay? It's helped us to, it brings up the area of motives. It helps us to regain control and composure. Okay? Um, 
some of you have been in committee meetings with me. Some of you have been in, in, in interactions with me. And, and you wonder why sometimes there's kind of a glazed look that comes over my face when you're talking to me. <laughs> it probably means I'm praying. Either that or I'm thinking about lunch. I'm not sure which it is. Depends, okay? But what happens is that I'm praying. I'm trying to regain my composure. I'm trying to regain my control. It helps us to review and rest in God's sovereignty over our lives. That, to me, is one of the key things about prayer. At the end of the day, am I willing to say, your will and not my will be done? You see? And very seldom do we get to that point. Except in prayer. Except in prayer. And so prayer is helpful. It's not the cure-all for everything, but it is helpful. When it comes to personal character, God measures the level of, gent- of the gentle spirit we have in us and, we have, and the level of worry we have about life. Well, how did you and I do? Okay, for those of you who are tracking along with us through the message here, how well did you do? Well, one of the things you can do then to help yourself in this area of in this area of personal relationships and your personal outlook on your life and in the area of personal character is you can get yourself involved in an accountability relationship with an individual believer or a group of believers. That is probably one of my greatest joys. I'll tell you the fact. I'll tell you the fact. Yeah, I, I like Uh, leadership meetings and things like that. But I love individual interactions with people. That's that's where I really get my jollies, is in that. That's where the joy comes. So find yourself an individual or a group of individuals who can help you in that area. And then number two, you can start choosing to spend more time with good examples. Okay? Um, my children, when we were raising them, we always uh, tried to encourage them to have a good set of friends, people around them, positive people, people who good, not only had good study habits, but also had good habits, period. <laughs> and so when that happened, then I think you're on the right track. So you can be on the right track, too. So as we wind this thing up, measuring up to God's expectations is important. And God's expectations for us are being at peace with, uh, with others, by ourselves, and then also helping others to be at peace with others. It is also rejoicing in the events and circumstances of life, and it is having a gentle spirit by worrying less and praying more. It's interesting that in chapter 4, verse 1, when Paul started out, he called the Philippians, my beloved, my joy and crown. What he was about ready to say them reflected how much they really meant to him. He wanted them to measure up well. By extension, God wants us to finish well. He wants us to measure up well. So be God's beloved. Be God's joy and crown by measuring up well in these areas. And there is no better time to start than now. Not tomorrow, but today and right now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray, Father, that your word would go forth 
Father, do its work. That you have spoken to the heart and soul of those who are, listen, who are willing to listen and willing to obey. We pray, Father, that you will do these things, these great things, in trying to organize our personal relationships, our personal outlook on life, and our personal character. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if that is your desire today, to head in these directions, to measure up to what God wants you, not what others want you, but what God wants. If that's your heart desire, would you just raise your hand and put it back down very quickly? Amen, 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 amen.